Good evening. My name is Vivian Fisher, and I manage the African-American department here. And unfortunately, Dr. Hayden could not be here this, afternoon, this evening. So it is my pleasure, on behalf of Dr. Hayden, the Board of Trustees and Directors, to introduce our guest speaker this evening, Sherry Franklin, who helps individuals and organizations to confront their fears and change limiting beliefs to achieve their dreams. An experienced businesswoman, Sherry knows the importance of integrating intuitive thinking into a model for success. For close to 20 years, she designed, developed, and, complement, and implemented promotional strategies for corporate clients as the owner of Specialties Plus, a firm she founded as a divorced single mother working in the basement of her home on Chicago's South Side. She credits her intuition with playing a critical role in her being selected as one of 300 Oprah fans who traveled with the media mogul on a once-in-a-lifetime trip to Australia in 2010. Traveling down underserved as a catalyst for Sherry to write her first book, Intuition, the hidden asset everyone should learn to use, which she will discuss this evening. Please join me in welcoming Sherry Franklin to the Pratt Library in Baltimore. Good evening. Thanks for making the time to come. I know that this has been a period of a lot of turbulence, and I felt it was important in the midst of that to bring some light into the space. And so my husband and I traveled here, you know, kind of like everybody else right now, you know, trying to figure out, you know, should we come, shouldn't we come? And the commitment to Enoch Pratt Library was so strong, we felt we had to be here. I want to first of all thank my hosts, and that is Lydia and Calvin Baker. They're such good friends that literally, even before they had even read my book, they were like, you must come to Baltimore. You must come to the Enoch Pratt Library. And when you know you have good friends like that supporting you, that's everything in the world. And so I really appreciate everything you've done. We've been, I was just tell, telling Lydia, we've been in contact for the last several weeks, it seems like every other day. And it just means so much to get that support and for you all to have taken the time to come. So I really do appreciate it. Thanks so much. Now, a lot of times people ask me, you know, what, is it, what does it take to write your first book? Well, for me, what it took was me having a life-altering experience, and that was being selected out of 100,000 email applicants to travel to Australia with Oprah. The way my selection came about ended up playing a critical role in me finally pursuing my own dream to write my first book. And see, we all have dreams, but a lot of times what happens is we forget to dream anymore. Sometimes because we're just too busy, other times because we get beat down. And then sometimes, one of my personal favorites is we have dream killers that surround us. And they will tell us all the reasons why you can't achieve whatever it is that you want. And what dream killers do is they make us connect with our doubts, fears, and insecurities. And the only way to achieve a dream is to go for it. There are no ifs, muts, maybes about it. If you've got a dream, and my dream had always been to write a book. I'm an avid book reader and a library lover and probably tried to write about three other books that just didn't make it. And finally, it took the trip to Australia to make me realize there was nothing holding me back but me. So I'm going to share with you today lessons I learned in Australia and as I go through my lessons with you, feel free to, you know, converse or ask questions, and I'll just share with you the experience. Now, first of all, being able to go to Australia was a big deal because we didn't know we were going to Australia. During the email application, you just filled out various things, like they asked things like, what's your favorite Oprah show? How did Oprah impact your life? And they called everyone. And what they did when they called you up, they finished the interview with one question. They asked this to every applicant. They said, what is your dream? 
And I told them my dream had always been to travel to the ancient ground to meet the Aboriginal people. I'd fallen in love with them because of reading a book. So I'll start from there. Now, the book that really made me really want to meet the Aboriginal people is a book by Marlo Morgan called Mutant Message Down Under. And there was something about that book. And I, you know, I'm, I'm a book lover. There was something about that book that made the Aboriginal people come alive in my heart. First of all, they are the real people of Australia. They are the original inhabitants. And they, their path parallels that of the Native American Indian. And they came in, they lost everything, and but yet they have such a strong, strong spirit. So that book actually played a part in this. And because I was willing to give, my, to, to give speech to my dream, to admit what, to what it was, because many times what happens is when we have a dream, we become vulnerable. We don't want people to know what it is that we're really dreaming. Sometimes because we're afraid we're going to be hurt. Other times because we're afraid to say it ourselves because once you speak it, then you're thinking, wow, there goes another dream I didn't achieve. So allowing myself to be vulnerable allowed me to be coming off that flight from, from L.A. to Australia with my childhood friend, Gail Baker. So that's us. And we came off the flight, and from there, everything picked up. Now, when you understand what happens with a dream, going on the show was really a big enough high in itself. Because I got to be in the show that day with some amazing energy. Everyone was on such a high. People were just like almost jumping out of their seat. And then we came out and Oprah announced, we're going to Australia. And that day alone was enough to really make me really, really rock my world. Then I found out a few weeks into after being selected to go to the show that Oprah had handpicked me to be in a group of 12 women to travel to the ancient ground of the Aboriginal people. So that was really, really big. So it was like winning the trifecta. Everything happened. (laughs) So here we are, and we are, that was a big lesson to learn, you know, because there were so many lessons. And one of the things is that we forget to be excited about our lives. You know, I remember that period. We went on the show September, and we did not travel to Australia until December, where every day I woke up like a little child the day before Christmas. Some days I literally would get up and start dancing around the apartment. And I'm sure that I drove my husband crazy because he didn't get to go to Australia. (laughs) Jim made the fateful decision, he'll kill me for this later, when they called and they took me through the interview, they, they said at the end, they said, there's no guarantee with this phone call, you'll be selected. That decision will be made at a later date and time. So as soon as I got off the phone, I turned to Jim and I said, do you want to go with me on the Oprah show? He said, perhaps you didn't hear what they said. You're not going to be selected. I said, I have visualized myself with a seat in that audience. The only question is, do you want to come with me? When he said no... I picked up my cell phone and I called my childhood friend, Gail Baker, and I invited her to the program even before I had been selected to go to the program. So that's part of going after a dream. You have to be willing to put yourself out there. So we arrived in, and everyone was put into animal token names, and my group was called the Frilled Neck Lizards. And we came in, and we were the only group, that Oprah had, we had custom cowboy hats, custom Western sh- shirts, and, um, and leather raincoats. And not only that, not only did we get fitted with those things that first day, they arrived in our room. That was my bag right there. They arrived in our rooms, all wrapped up by 8 o'clock that night. And by 6 o'clock the next morning, we were on a flight. So we came off a 15-hour flight to go on to, 15, to 6 o'clock the next morning. So we were beat. And because our group was so special, 
everything that happened seemed like it moved in fast forward. Now, this is when we first checked in the hotel. This was my first opportunity to see the Aboriginal people. Now, one of the things you're going to notice is there are people of every rainbow hue. And again, a lot of this had to do with the European presence. And so what you'll notice, though, is when you're in Australia, you will not see the Aboriginal people in hotels, in government offices, in schools, in restaurants. You will only see them in tourist sites or the ancient ground. They are still ostracized in that society. So it is a very sad state of affairs. And what happened is because the culture has been so you know, decimated by everything. They were still taking their children from them up to close to 1970. Because if a European man made it with an Aboriginal woman and they came out looking as the people over in the far corner do, lighter complected, blue eyes, blonde hair, they considered them to be half cased. And so that meant they took the children. And so there were people that we encountered in the aging ground, they didn't even know if their brothers or sisters were still alive. And this is different than reading things in a history book. When you look people in the eye and they talk to you about their personal hardship. But again, they're very proud people. They're very dedicated to their culture. So this is how it was when we first came in. My first glimpse. So again, this is the 12 women that I travel with. Now, in the meantime, we, we, I'm trying to remember how many handlers we had. There were 12 women. I think within the 12 women, we had six handlers. So we didn't touch a bag. We, you literally had someone to do something for you every moment. And again, we just got off the other flight from L.A. to Australia. So we took a Qantas plane, a private plane, and a helicopter all in the same day to be transported to the ancient ground. And you literally felt like you wanted to pinch yourself because you just couldn't believe this was really happening to you because everything was just going so fast. And with all the time zones we've been in, there were some times where I was like, oh, try, you know, you wanted to stay awake for everything, but you were exhausted. This is my first glimpse out the helicopter. And these were great big helicopters. These were helicopters that fit at least six to eight people in. And we were, you know, just mesmerized at the land. It's very rich, very vibrant. But again, you'll see it's rocky. So that's not a land that's really farmland. And so it's a hard life for the Aboriginal people. You know, they've received, I'm sure what, as they did the Native Americans, they've received their government assistance. But we both know that's not a good existence. And so they do have hard lives. Now you see a waterfall all the way in the back, you see the shadows of our helicopters. There were three helicopters that came down with us that day. And I call this really crossing the invisible line because it's really like you're, you're in one place that's the past, but it's the present. And I literally felt when I landed up there, like my skin felt tingly. It was just such a special moment. Now that rock area right there, you're going to see that's the rock art gallery. This is where we actually went under as a group. Now, traveling with us that day, in addition to the 12 women, were Oprah's film crew, a film documentary crew, um, different officials from the Alaskan Tourist Bureau. And, and this is one of those things about achieving a dream. Part of being a, able to achieve a dream is you must be willing to put yourself out there. I had planned a meditation for the women even without knowing whether or not I would be allowed to do it. And right before we got to the ancient ground, I pulled one of Oprah's producers aside and said, could I do the meditation for the women? I fully expected that they would give me a little space to talk to the women alone. But what in fact happened was, and this is when you have to be ready to do a dream, they called me before the front of the room with all those dignitaries and officials. And not only that, Oprah's film crew recorded the whole thing. So I did the meditation and it was a special moment because it was my gift to give back for being allowed to go on the trip. So here I had a moment and right before we got on, one of Oprah's producers called me aside and said, we've already sent this tape to Oprah because remember how technology works now. So I'm like, okay. So we go out on the land 
And the first thing we do when we arrive, and this is, let me pronounce it correctly, Gabarnmung Cave, okay? And this site was only rediscovered a couple years before we came there. Before the women traveled to the land, only 19 non-indigenous people, archaeologists and scientists were allowed on the land. Now over here, when we're arriving, this is when the Aboriginal elders are greeting us. And they're greeting each, each woman with a basket of oil, and they're blessing us as we come into the land. These are the Aboriginal elders right here, the Joshua. They actually own this land that we're on. Now, this is the ark, and this ark is 15,000 years old. You see down here, this is like a spaceman flying. Okay? They actually had a picture even of a shuttle. This is a kangaroo. So they depicted all their, land, all their habits, all their cultures on this wall. So this is one of the most sacred spots to be in. And when they were talking to us, what the Aboriginal women told us is that the ancestors had been contacted and would give their approval for whether, they said, the ancestors, are con ancestors had to be contacted in order to get approval for us to be on the land. And there would be weather changes occurring to signify their approval for us being on the site. When we arrived on the land, it was up, and, and December is their summer, it was 105 degrees. So we get under the rock art gallery, and as soon as, remember, it's the film crew, Oprah's team, the Australian Tourist Bureau, and the 12 women. So it's about 30 people. We all get under the rock art gallery, and as soon as we do, a downpour happens. First weather change. And they're telling us their history like you just mesmerized. Almost like you feel that they memorized it, or they had to, because they could not read or write. <laughs> and they're speaking at such a deep level. They're telling us the difference between women's work and man's work, and how they viewed their culture. And they said that people who live without their culture live in slavery. So they talked to us at such a deep level that just when you felt you had gotten, you know, you just wanted to get everything you could from them, it was time for us to leave the rock art gallery. And when we did, we found out the temperature had dropped to 75 degrees. Second weather change. We come out and begin, because it is an area where there, you know, everything has to be bought down by helicopter, they had prepared us a gourmet meal of Aboriginal delicacies. But we barely had time to, these are a couple of the women that traveled with me, Faith and Mercy, who've also traveled to Chicago to see me. Um, that's Margaret Catherine. That's the elder that I mentioned to you. She actually is the one who did the bulk of the speaking. Um, dinosaurs, they have seen everything, okay? 15,000 years. So they have recorded their history on that area. So we get outside and they have prepared this delicacy, all these things, but we barely have time to eat it. And the helicopter pilots come up and tell us we're going to have to be leaving now. Because remember, there's no Howard Johnson's, no Marriott down there. Nothing. Okay? And when it's dark, it's going to be dark. And we lined up in front of Margaret Catherine to say goodbye to her. Well, part of what I had been doing once I found out that I was traveling to the ancient ground, I tried to test what I, what I learned about the Aboriginal people. The Aboriginal people are supposed to be people who actually are enabled to engage in telepathic communication. So what I did during the time before I left was my prayer and meditation during those couple weeks before I left was to send love and light to them. Those of you who see your book signatures, I sign my signature in love and light. So I would work every day consciously meditating and sending them love and light. So I get up in front of Margaret Catherine, and Margaret Catherine says to me, Sherry, my soul has already touched yours. Well, see, what was unusual about this, I did not meet Mar Margaret Catherine. There was so much going on that day, and she said, you know, I, I felt what you were doing. Well, you know, that was really a moment, okay? <laughs> I wasn't even sure it really happened. Okay, I kind of maybe thought it was a dream because, again, we were moving all these different time zones. 
And so we go to, to get on the helicopters, and when we do, again, these are large helicopters, right before our helicopters take off, the wind starts to blow. And, the, the, you know, the pilot's on his computer in the front, and he's looking around and everything, and, I, and we're holding on. You know, everybody's like knuckled, holding on. And right, in, right when the helicopter leveled off, the sky turned pink, and double rainbows appeared. Third weather sign. So the ancestors were in agreement for us being there. Now this is the Rock Art Gallery, a little bit more, Margaret Catherine. And they do own this land. This is their land. And all this is in, the, in there. Each woman was given a certificate of authenticity to indicate her number on the site. I was the 21st person to be allowed on the site. Okay. And again, because you see every hue of the rainbow, you know, in the people because of the mixture of the European blood. That's my friend Gail who traveled with me. Um, you see everything. Now, this is the gallery that we were standing under when the downpour happened. It's also where all the rock art. Oprah wasn't on this part of the trip, but she did come to us later. She, we were the only group. Out of all the people who traveled there, there were total 300 that Oprah spent a full day with. And I think that part of the reason she did it is because of this site right here, Uluru. Uluru is considered to be one of the most ancient spiritual sites. And again, because everything got taken from the Aboriginal people, they had to go to court to fight to get it back. It's also known as Ayers Rock. And so we, we took a helicopter ride and flew around there to be able to see the site. And it's very interesting because the mountain is so special that they literally have developed, they have it divided into a male side and a female side. We were not allowed to take pictures of the female side, but it resembled the female body. And this is where the women went to learn how to train to become women. And it's where the men went to their side to learn how to be men. So they were very much into the culture of understanding gender roles. Now, it was because we were at Uluru, that's the mountain behind us, Oprah surprised us and showed up that day. And this is a picture that appeared um, on the front pages of the Australian newspaper and the National Enquirer and People magazine. So we, when we got there, she showed up by helicopter. And everyone was pretty taken, as you would be, for Oprah showing up. And we reacted like little kids, okay? <laughs> Everybody tried to take as many pictures as they can, and we, we, we hid our cameras sometime. And we're, like, trying to take pictures of her. And she acted like we were family. You know, she talked to us. And that was when I first got the inkling of how much that meditation I did really mattered. Because that's when she when she joined us for dinner and you know you come in big dining room but we're the only people there with Oprah they had closed off the restaurant in Australia and my name was seated was right there on the on the name tag next to Oprah and I looked at it and I went up to the producer I said you know maybe there's been some mistake I'm right here next to Oprah she said oh no Sherry she saw the meditation that you did you earned your seat Okay, so that earned me a seat. So that's one of the things about pursuing a dream. You have to be willing to earn your seat. So we spent the day at the mountain and, you know, it was it was probably one of the all time great experiences of my life. We had a day where we listened to their culture. We saw everything that that they did. You know, it was a very warm experience also with the women. Because the women actually, even though they don't watch television, they all knew who Oprah was. <laughs> yeah, they all knew who Oprah was. So everyone was really, you know, it was like, oh, and there was one point. They came out and they danced for us one night. I think I, ha I, I don't have the dancing scene yet. I'll, I'll pull it up a little bit later. But Uluru, again, formed thousands of years ago. Now, the unfortunate part is that because it was taken away from the Aboriginal people, it's polluted now. And so they don't, they're not able to use the water because what happened is tourists would go up, drop their cameras, drop their litter, 
you know, we don't have a great deal of respect for national treasures. So they're trying to return it to its natural state so they'll be able to utilize the resources that are available to them. And there's so much to see in terms of just, you know, how different things are there. And you, you, you know, you feel like for the time that we're there, we were there 10 days. I really didn't feel I did justice to it. I would like to go back. You know, I, I would like to see it from a, a slower pace because we move really quickly. And, but it, it's, uh, like I said, it was captivating just to be in the land and at the mountain and to see everything that nature really has afforded. So she surprised us and came to dinner. And I mentioned to you that when she came to dinner, I was seated right next to her. Now, that's where actually where Oprah stayed. She stayed in the cabana over there. We stayed in a nice hotel, but she stayed in a nice, nice hotel. Okay. And she asked for a moment of silence. You know, she asked for a moment for us to just connect with our spirit. And you see how windy it is up there. And we ate, you know, alligator. You know, we ate things that you don't normally get exposed to here because we ate the Aboriginal delicacies. She did not eat those things. Okay. You know, she was like, no, I'm not going to eat those things. But I tried everything because I felt like when was I going to come back? You know, it's a once in a lifetime experience. You want to try it all. And this is the night we were out where the Aboriginal women danced for us. And it was a special night because it's, it was a sacred ceremony that they did in terms of this dance. And they danced topless. Okay. And it was really funny because at one point, and I guess it's kind of the custom, you know, one of the women kind of reached over and squeezed Oprah's boob, right? And Oprah looked like, you know. What happened here? But she played it off. You know, it was their, their custom, and they, you know, they had a very special moment. But it was, a, it was a real opportunity, though, to see people who work very, very hard at a deep level to maintain their culture because they really are very, very committed to keeping their spirit connection in place. And they allowed us to actually go through an Aboriginal art class. Now, this gentleman down here, I don't know if you saw some of the Aboriginal <coughs> earlier. He was the only one that would speak to us in English. You knew that everyone could understand English, but they would talk amongst themselves in their native tongue, and he was the only person designated to speak English to us. Again, maintaining that culture. They weren't going to give up what they had strived so far for. Now, what they did was they believed that their artwork actually contains a bit of their soul. So when you painted, you were embracing your soul energy, what you wanted to do. And what I got from it is this right here, that it was time for me to take bolder steps. You know, I had been playing life a bit too safe. And I hadn't stretched myself and moved out of my comfort zone. Not that I didn't have a good life, but I hadn't really stretched myself. Hadn't really worked at that other level to achieve that dream. And so each, each woman did their own artwork. That we later, that's each woman in the group's artwork, that we later sat back and talked about privately what our goals were, what we wanted to come back and achieve. And I'm, this is mine. And for me, the yellow represented these steps that I wanted to make at a soul level, and the green represented to me the prosperity that I wanted to bring into my life. And again, Every woman had a story to tell about their picture. And, you know, and it was one of those times where we all felt very special and connected. Because keep, keep in mind, we did not know each other. And we were from all over. Um, since the trip, the women have visited me in Chicago twice. And I think I've visited a couple. We went to Seattle to see a couple. So we have remained in contact since the trip. So we left the ancient land, and we went to a fabulous party at the Sydney Harbor. And again, this is one of those times where you know when you take a leap out in consciousness and achieve your dream, Oprah came over and got me from a group of people and put me in there for that shot. Okay? So there were, there were moments that added up, and it really, again, if I hadn't taken the leap in consciousness and done the meditation... And that's what some of you are going to have to do after today. 
Some of you are going to have to take that leap in consciousness and trust your intuition and go for your passion or whatever your dream is and decide I'm doing it. I'm not going to be concerned about what any dream killer tells me. I am doing it for me. Now, one of the big things that I got a kick out of was we were we taped two Oprah shows and Hugh Jackson was one of the guests that came down. He came down like, you know, on this glider. And after he got down, right before he got down, he got so excited with the crowd and he was laughing and everything. We hit his head and it was so bad. The paramedics had to come to put stitches in his head. And. The thing I learned from him, he was such a gracious person. The first thing he said, I want you to know that none of my technical staff are responsible for this accident. I did it to myself because I did not pay attention. How many of us really have the capacity to admit we make mistakes on TV with everyone around? And so that was a big lesson for me to really understand because there are also often things don't go the way we plan. But sometimes it really just takes saying, hey, I screwed up. This didn't go the way I planned it to be. So that was a big lesson for me to embrace because he did it so casually and with so much grace and so much dignity. And it was a big point because we do need to learn that. That's one thing that all of us can learn in the growth experience. Now, again, because we had party, party, party all the time, we were always doing something. And one of the big events was when we got on a, and everything was always brand new. We got on a brand new bus one night and um, a flat screen TV came down and Oprah told us, you follow me to Australia. Now won't you follow me to go see Jay-Z and you too? Okay. (laughs) So we ended up at the concert that night. And we had a ball. Now, everybody knew when we got there that there would be all kind of food, all kind of things to eat. And she tried to prepare us when we came home. She told us that day when we were leaving, she said, now go back home and be gentle now. Because you literally came to breakfast in the morning. If I had a cup of tea down, somebody would come up, took my tea bag, dunked it for me. And asked me, do you want sugar or anything? Put my sugar in. So going home was kind of a crash course. Okay? Because suddenly you didn't have everybody doing all this stuff. I'm... Hmm? <laughs> but it's, like I said, you're, you're living at such a high level. I remember um, the ladies and I, because we, we stayed pretty close in our group. We were literally like cracking up about Hugh Jackman. And we were saying, you know, one of the women, Stacey Carter, my friend, she was saying, you know, if I don't come down to breakfast in the morning, that's because Hugh is in my room, okay? <laughs> and who steps off the elevator but Hugh Jackman, right? And he comes out, he knows that we're kind of laughing about him, okay? But doesn't know exactly what the joke is, and we have fallen out, okay? <laughs> so there were a lot of special moments, but the food, the food was to die for. That was the party up there at the Sydney Harbor. Now, what made that party so significant is that's when I found out what my having a dream really meant. One of Oprah's producers came up and asked me, she said, are you Sherry? I said, yes. By then, I knew 100,000 people had applied via email. And she said, I'll never forget you. I said, why? What did I do? She said, you told us that you wanted to meet the Aboriginal people and you didn't know we were going to Australia. Okay. So in fact, that's when she confirmed to me, even what Margaret Catherine said to me, she said, that was something what Margaret Catherine said to you. I looked at her, I said, that was real. I thought it was a dream. And she said, no, we got it on videotape. Okay, so there were that's when the real moment came through how unique and how special everything is and how everything really is interconnected. A lot of times what happens is we don't pay attention to the interconnectedness because we're so busy and we're seduced by technology. We don't take the time anymore to be quiet or to reflect on our talent, skills and abilities as being enough. What if I didn't think, you know, I could get up and do the meditation? 
I wouldn't have had some of the special experiences that I did on the trip. Or if I hadn't been open to even revealing my dream. So that's how life works. That's the real secret of life to really understand. Now, again, every day we had something special going on. And, you know, the, on the water was a big level. And that's when we really had the opportunity, though, to have Oprah talk to us a lot as a group. And she told us not to let the trip to Australia be the biggest thing you do in your life. That you have to go back and achieve bigger dreams and goals. And that's what made me really commit myself to writing the book that you have. Now, actually, when I was in Australia, I was writing another book. I had been, I had operated as an MBE, a minority business enterprise for a number of years. So I tapped into my community and I was writing a book called Minority Women in Change, Secrets of Those Who Did. I happened to have given a chapter of the book to one of Oprah's producers and said, would you read it for me? Let me know what you think. Well, she told me she didn't think it was that great. She told me it's okay, but I don't think it says anything spectacular. Now, suppose I had let let those words take me down to the point where I didn't try this book. See, you're always going to have people that are going to poke holes in whatever you do. And she was actually right. I wasn't that thrilled about the book myself. (laughs) When I got back, the women who visited with me in Australia, the 12 women, they knew I was writing the book. And they said to me, they said, Sherry, how's the book going? And I said, well, I've done some interviews, but it's just not rocking my world. And they said, don't you remember what the Aboriginal women told us? They said, before you can write someone else's story, you must first write your own. And after that, I changed. I felt I was intuitively drawn to write the book that you have. So the book is, is an outgrowth of the experience of going to Australia. I don't know without the trip that I'd be in front of you today. But trust me. You don't need a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity with Oprah to achieve your dream. You get them every day. We just have to pay attention and recognize when the opportunities are there for us. So those are the parting words that she said to us. Go back and achieve bigger dreams and goals. And that's what I share with you this evening. You must go back and achieve bigger dreams and goals. There's no accident that you've chosen to be here today. And if you're here, it's because your life needs to be uplifted and maybe enlightened. But whatever it is that you need to do, you have the mandate now to do that. So that's the picture of a dream. Okay? I'm open for questions. Okay. Thank you very much for a good presentation. I have a question. Did you, why, on your trip to Australia, did you have a chance to meet with some of the children of the Aborigines? Um, do you know um, what kind of educational opportunities do they have, if at all? And how are they able to achieve the dreams? You know, young people dream of things to do in the future, and there are their next generation for the Aborigines. What's well, happening there? Well, actually, it's a very sad state of affairs because what happens is many times the Aboriginal women drink while they're pregnant because they're pressed. They have a very high rate of alcoholism as we find in the Native American culture and they suffer from what's called fetal alcohol syndrome. And because of that, what happens is many of the young people suffer from behavior problems. And so many of them are in juvenile detention centers. So it is a very sad state of affairs. In the book Mutant Message Down Under by Marlo Morgan, the one that inspired me, and she's written two books, um, they talk about the fact that the Aboriginal people have decided that they're going to leave, that they have suffered enough, and that they're not going to expand their line. Now, whether or not that happens will remain to be seen. But that is an interesting thought that they feel that way. The Aborigines say the same thing when a person is born and when they die. They say, I love you and I support you on the journey. When a person decides and they decide within themselves when it's time for them to leave, they have a party where they celebrate that person. 
And everybody goes around and tells them what a good person they are and the things, how they've touched their lives. And then at the end, the person lies down on a mat and wills themselves to die. Okay? So they are very astute people in understanding. And because they understand the different plants, the different herbs of the native lands, they're things that they understand that we don't. Yes. Hi, I want to thank you for being here tonight and thank everybody else. Um, some of us had to come, you know. Thank and, you. And I'm just glad to be here. Thanks for your presentation. I wanted to uh, just share with you, I came down here to hear about the, your book, Intuition. Oh, I had sure. no idea that you'd be talking about Australia. Um, uh, I, I, it made, your uh, PowerPoint presentation was so pleasant, and it made me remember uh, and dream about um, we sent our daughter there to Australia. She went with uh, Dwight Eisenhower's program, Up With People. So she was 16 and she went with for three weeks. Uh, okay. So the the pictures recounted rec- 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 that. She's um, over 30 years old now, so it was really nice to see that. And I also wanted to share with you and ask, uh, share with the um, uh, the group and ask if you've heard of the movie Rabbit Proof Fence. Oh, sure, Fence. Rabbit Fence. Uh, yeah, okay. Rabbit Proof Fence. It's right. really r- worth seeing if anybody hasn't seen it. And all, and the, bo- all the movies like that, um, I'm sure Enoch Pratt Library exactly. has it in their system because I, I got it out the Chicago Public Library. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing the uh, term and trials of the Aboriginal people. You wanted to ask me something, though, about the book. What was the question uh, about the book? Just that uh, your intu- the book Intuition. Um, I want to hear more about. Um, okay. Because I book, haven't bought it yet. Okay, the book is really a combination of um, three sections. The first has to do with my own intuitive journey. I'd always been fascinated by intuition, studied it. I'm a trained intuitive. I'm a graduate of what's called the Integrated Awareness Program and Avatar, and I've taken consciousness development and meditation classes through the years. And But it's, it's not work that you necessarily choose to do. The work really chooses you if you're, you're open to it. And what happened is... Um, I'd been an entrepreneur for about 17 years. I did promotional products, but I always had a fascination for intuition. And I got invited to do a radio program in Chicago, WVON. Uh, President Melody Span Cooper and I talked at a networking event. And she said, I like how you sound and I like the things that you say. Why don't you come on air and talk about opportunities for women in business? I served at that time on the couple boards, Women's Business Development, Chicago Minority Business Development Council. And I'm on the air taking calls, and suddenly a woman calls up and she says, the only way I can get a business is if I got a miracle. Well, I just told her I understand the process for creating miracles, and I explained it to her. The phones lit up. I ended up getting a small radio program that I was on air on Mondays called Intervision, and that's where my first clients came from. So I was still doing Specialties Plus while I was doing the radio program and then starting to develop my own client base. So that's that's one part that the book goes into. The second part has to do with my clients, the people who've allowed me the honor of participating in their life journey. And the third part has to do with the people I admire who use their intuition to help lift the consciousness of the planet. There are people out here who are doing very, very big work, and we need the light workers around, especially in times of what's going on in Baltimore now. We need these light workers to step up and do their work. Because they, we have to have a, a, a lift, uplift in consciousness in order for things to change. Everything's not down. Everything's not downtrodden. But we need thinkers. We need people who are willing to put themselves out there and say, wait a minute. This is the way I think things could be done. One last point. Okay. She's a park ranger now. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, It's her life work. We, you know, sent her to school. She's got a master's and all that. And she said she wants to be a park ranger. I was like, (laughs) really? (laughs) uh, I was talking to her today, and she was saying that she um, wanted to um, get uh, acquainted with reading people's body body language and and listening to her her own intuition. Mm -hmm. And that was just today on the this afternoon. Well, you got to get her the book then. Okay, got to get her the book. By the way, I'm I'm going to see Cheree Franklin, and she's. uh, about the book on intuition. Okay. So the Australia had nothing to do with it. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Thank you. Hello. Hi. Very, very nice talk. Uh, 
Can you take this off, or do you have to keep it like that? You can move it. It's <laughs> a good one. It's a good one. Um, uh, Oprah loves Australia, and, and so does uh, Ellen. That's no. Ellen's no. Uh, partner also, I think, came from Australia. But um, it's, most of it's desert. That's the sad thing about oh, it. Oh, yeah, it's it is. The U.S., but most of it's unusual. Right. But I just want... You can hear me? We can hear you. Okay. Um, I'm used to the other one before. The other microphone was better. I just want to know, um, are you uh, close to, uh, like, psychics? Are you uh, intuitions close to psychic ability? And do you believe in, like, someone like uh, Caputo? I think well, I th- there's a difference between an, intuition, an intuitive and a psychic. A psychic is, might tell you, you're going to go down the street, you're going to see a green car, there's going to be a man in there that you're going to marry. Intuitives are a little bit different. What we do is we practice at the level of really just being keenly aware of what's going on. Your body really is your laboratory. It really tells you everything that you need to know. And in intuition, what comes in is usually delivered in bits and pieces. And so you stay aware to what's happening. What I do when I see someone as an intuitive coach and counselor, what I do is I ask when a person is before me, I ask, what do I need to know about this person today? And I just pay attention to what comes up. It might be a word. It might be a whole sentence. And that's where how we begin the dialogue. So it's really about paying attention to all the senses that are going on in the body. Okay. Uh, Hi, before you get here, I I want to ask a question. Your book says you cite case studies in addition to your personal experience. My clients. Right, exactly. So Mm -hmm. beyond the Oprah experience, as I see intuition versus intellect, you think about certain things and what they should do. And at times you get a feeling about things. Right. Can you cite an example in the book from your work with the clients of how using new intuition versus the intellect? Sure. Or do they co commingle? How does how do you advise? Well, first of all, I think that intuition should be placed right up next to analytical or fact based thinking in helping you to make a decision. Let's say you make a list of whatever it is, decision that you're facing. You say, this is my analysis, this is what the facts tell me, this is what the research says, and you also need to put down what your gut tells you, okay? And what I'd like to say, it really doesn't matter if you're you're at the pool table or corporate boardroom. We're all using gut-based thinking in the decisions that we make. And what I say is turn it on. Make yourself even more aware of it. But what happens is, many times what blocks our intuition is the fact that we multitask. You know, our brains get so cluttered when we go from task to task that literally you can't sense when you're not doing something right. And so what I do with my clients is is I, I teach them how to slow down to pay attention to their intuition. See, the information is always there. It's just if you choose to listen. But you asked for one in particular um, story from the book, and I'll tell you about a woman that came to see me. And it was when I first started seeing clients and wasn't really even sure what I was doing at that point. And she came to see me, and the first thing I got back was ask her about the gun. And it really blew me away because I had just started doing my work. And I I was so unsure about it that I went next door to the man who brought me into the practice, a guy by the name of Kurt Hill. You'll see his chapter. It's called A Healer's Healer. And I bought to Kurt, you know, about what she said. I said, I keep getting back about this gun, Kurt, and it's really, I don't know what to do. So Kurt came back in the room with me, and we talked to the woman, and he asked her one simple question. He said, do you have a gun on you? And she did. She was a police officer, though. And we asked her, we asked her to put the gun in the garbage can, and we took it up front before I talked with her. Well, what happened was she was a woman who had been abused on so many different levels, had really had a very, very hard life. And she had some unfortunate experiences where, you know, family members had abused her, just really had a bad time. And I I was amazed at her capacity for survival. I'm not sure if the roles were reversed that I would have done as well as she did. Well, anyway, getting back to what happened was after Kurt left the room and we talked, that's when I really had to trust my intuition because I was all alone. And it was a, the chapter is entitled The Turning Point, and that was a turning point for me. And as she talked to me, what happened was she, when she graduated from the police academy, she was selected to go to an elite drug team. And it was during a time where 98% 
of the drug team was all white males, and she was an African-American female. So she allowed them entree into drug deals they could not have gotten into without her presence. Well, they weren't pleased to have her on the force, and they did everything they could do to harass her. So here's a woman who's been abused, you know, in a very difficult and stressful work environment. She had to depend upon those police officers to protect her. And then she met a man that she knew intuitively would not make her a good husband. But again, the cycle was too ingrained, so she married him. So fast forward, they'd had a child together. And after the child together, then things really got bad. And he had decided that he wanted half of this house that she had worked so hard for. That's where the gun came in. I asked her, I said, what part of a gun has to do with your visit with me today? And she said she had been thinking about killing her estranged husband. So there are no accidents. So she showed up that day, and recently we've had dialogue. I had not seen her for some years until it was time for the book to come to completion. And we ran into each other at a networking event. Actually, she she recognized me quite quickly, and we had a chance to talk. She didn't kill him, okay? Okay? She went on and sued the DEA for harassment, got a $750,000 settlement, um, is in negotiation now with a, um, a motion picture company to do a, a story for her life. Um, so it was a turning point for me. And, you know, turning points are, are really big moments because what happens is many times when a turning point occurs, most of us run from them. Okay. We see that turning point and like, no, I don't want to have to make that decision. I won't have to deal with that. And turning points are actually some of the best opportunities for growth because how you act when you're in upheaval determines how long before you're in achievement again. So we learned a lot about each other. I learned a lot about my capability and my aptitude for understanding people. So it was a real turning point for both of us. Did that answer your question? Okay. You had a question, sir? Do you have a daily meditation practice that you would share or recommend? You know, actually, I wanted to do a meditation with you, so since you've asked, why don't we take a moment, okay? Um, Can I get you to close your eyes? Take a deep breath in. Make sure your cell phones are off, because I've heard a couple going off, please. Okay, take a deep breath in. Let it out. Take another deep breath in. Let it out. Take another deep breath in. Let it out. Take another deep breath in. Let it out. Now I want you to see if you can notice the beating of your heart. Quietly notice the rhythm. The heart is the first organ formed in the body, even before the brain is. So we have a feeling capacity before we have a thinking ability. And I want you to allow yourself to feel anything that you're holding in your heart now. Any old hurts, any resentments, any anger any fear and talk to your heart tell it that we're going to work together right now like we never have before and tell it that you're willing to release any old hurt that has been held in the heart anything that has caused you grief Anything that's caused you nights when you haven't been able to sleep. Tell the heart that right now, we want to clean it out. We want to let go of everything that has been an old hurt that has bothered your soul. Don't judge what you're releasing. Just allow yourself to release it. Imagine in your mind's eye that you are Surrounded by a beautiful white light. This light is so special and so unique. 
It is the light of the source energy for everything that has existed in the universe since the beginning of time. Ask this light to work with you in releasing anything that has been held in the heart chakra. Anything you've been wanting to let go of. And know in your heart that it's time. There's no better time than now. Allow yourself to release it. And imagine that as this hurt is released, your heart fills with love. A beautiful, beautiful sense of love. Love for this moment. Love for yourself. Love for all of humanity. And you're going to take this love that you've created in your heart for this time and you're going to take it and move forward in your own lives to accomplish your dreams, hopes, and desires. It's okay to let it go. It's okay to let anything go that you need to at this moment. We only need this moment to let go of whatever it is that you want to release. Allow yourself to slowly come back to the room and open your eyes. That meditation took three minutes. That's as little. To, research indicates that meditation has effect in as little as five to seven minutes. So anytime you're consciously aware, you're practicing a meditation. A lot of times what people suffer from, they suffer from monkey brain. Your, your, your brain starts to jump around. What about the dry cleaners? What about the groceries? What about this? And when it does, I like to tell people you have to train your brain and tell it, okay, I'm noticing that you're all over here now, but I've set this time up to meditate and to move it back to where you want to be. And this is critically important now as part of this aging process because scientists have tell us that there's something called neuroplasticity. And that means the brain has the capacity to grow as you continue to age. And people who meditate, they have more gray mass in their brain, and you have the capacity, again, to be on that forgiveness channel. You know, I noticed some of you, I watched the energy in the room when we went into the heart chakra to clear, clear things up. Some of y'all got some stuff you need to get rid of, okay? <laughs> Been carrying around a little too long, Okay. Because forgiveness is for you. It's not for the other guy. Okay? And so if there's something you need to forgive, no better time to do it. In the book, I mentioned one website that I'll, you know, share with you now. It's a book by the same name, and it's called Radical Forgiveness. Radicalforgiveness.com. The book is by Colin Tipping. It's a free website. I like to refer my clients to it because what it does, it allows you to energetically shift out of anything you're going through. If you go into the free worksheet area, it allows you to put in in very, you know, and you should be as point blank as you want to. If there's something really bothering you, don't go, you know, well, I'm upset because so-and-so dumped me. That lousy, no good, you know, put it out there. And so you take it down, and at the end, it helps you to know what you want to create from the experience. So it's an excellent tool. It's a free website, book by the same name. Book is probably in the library because it's been out a good while. Radicalforgiveness.com. Um, you can do multiple worksheets because you may have something that was bothering you. You know, it's like I had a, a gentleman that showed up for, um, I do visioning sessions for organizations. And we did a visioning session for um, a State Department. And it was really interesting. Um, when I do a visioning session, I do what I do now is I put a whole group in a meditative state and I get them to reach for the ideas with their minds. And it was really interesting. This one gentleman, and he was actually the department head, started to cry. And afterwards, you know, I asked him, I said, what, what happened? Well, he had been really angry at his sister who died. Okay? And it took the meditation for him to realize it was time for him to forgive it. So we hold our memories, our cells hold memories, and they're all kind of things that we do need to clean out because, you know, think about how the word disease breaks down, disease, okay? 
you have to stay balanced in the body. And that means you have to let this stuff go in order to make yourself a clean palette, a blank canvas, so you can go out and create whatever it is that you want in your life. Any other questions? Eloise. Can everybody hear me? Yeah. 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 When you do personal meditation, do you... Um, do you ever utilize like soaking music or do you primarily just um, focus? No, I, I like music. Um, I mentioned one in particular, a guided meditation that I like by Dr. Wayne Dyer called Getting in the Gap in the book. Getting in the Gap, what Dr. Dyer does is he does um, an ancient meditation called Japa, J-A-P-A. And he breaks the Lord's Prayer down into the first 10 words. And what he does is he goes in the space between the words. So he says, visualize the word our, and then visualize the word father. And then he tells you to go in the space between the words and say the I sound. I is the sound of creation. Every name of God and every religion and every culture since the beginning of time, Allah, Buddha, Jehovah, Krishna, all has I in it. And so he goes into the ah sound. I find it's a very good meditation to use. Um, they have a 10-minute and a 30-minute, and it's a, um, it's a dual book and CD. So it's, it's a good one to work on. It's 10 minutes and 30 minutes. I think that's it. But it's um, a good one to start. Um, guided meditations, I think, are, are really good. But I like to go into the silence. And it was going into the silence is what awakened me, actually, to doing this work. I would get up every morning. The last two years, I was doing my business specialties plus, And I would hear very distinctly, you're supposed to be a teacher. I would hear it. And I would say, no, not me. First child tells me, shut up, they'd be in the closet. I'd be on the news. Mm-mm. Not going to do it. And I realized I'm, I am a teacher, but I'm a different kind of teacher. And so, it, but it wasn't until I was willing to surrender to doing the work. That's when I think within a day or two of surrendering, just finally I said, fine, you want me to do it? You have to set it up. I'm not doing a thing. And within a day, the opportunity came in with Melody Span Cooper. So, you know, you never know, you know, how your destiny will unfold. Because, see, there's a difference between fate and destiny. See, fate is passive. You follow the community or your family traits and whatever it is that you do. Destiny, you take action. You're willing to take risk. And I wanted to embrace my destiny. Okay? Anything else? Terry. Mm-hmm. No, I say that. I do. I deja vu is one of my signs that my intuition is kicked in. As soon as I start thinking that something feels like I've been there before, I know that's the universe's way of letting me know to pay attention. So it is. It really just depends on how your intuition. Well, again, it's like meditation. There is many ways to meditate as there are the people who do the meditating. There's many ways to interpret the intuition as the person who receives information. It really just depends on your ability to tune in and pay attention. And probably the biggest thing about intuition, and I say this in my book, this is the difference between us often being a victim you know, of crime, is your ability to take action. You can't sit there and think, I, I'm not feeling good about this. The lights are dark. I shouldn't walk to my car and then still go on and get walked in your car and somebody knock you in the head. Okay? Intuition gets stronger when you pay attention to it. When you don't, it retreats from you. So you have to pay attention when you get those nudges and don't wait. That's the big thing. I've had too many people tell me, you know, well, I knew this and this. And I'm kind of like, okay, so you knew it and you still did the opposite. That's how it works. So, on that same line, intuition is almost equal to affirmation. You know, like if, if you want to, like, I don't believe in it, you can speak things into existence. Okay. So, if I've, uh, if I say today I'm going to have a really good day, I know everything's going to work out, maybe I have a project at work, and I'm kind of mm-hmm. affirmative about it, and then I kind of flip it around and say, you know what, I got this, I'm going to get it done. Blah, 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 blah. And I find that the fear that I had or the um, uncertainty diminishes and I'm able to actually do 
what I need to do, even with assignments that I had no idea. That were going to come up, okay. So, um, I guess it may be a mixture of affirmation and intuition that I'm going to make this work. Well, I think change happens in the invisible level. So, the relationship you have with yourself is so important, and it begins with the self-talk. You're either selling yourself to yourself or you're not. If you're going to tear yourself down, you're going to have a bad life experience. But if you're building yourself up and telling yourself, you know, I am capable, you know, I am smart, able to do, able-minded, whatever it is, if you send yourself that verbal message, I think everything relates to everything else. And so you, you have to massage the soul with love because so often what happens is we think about all the bad things that can happen. We go through, you know, what if I go in, I'm going to lose my job. Okay. What if I don't, you know, have the money that I need to pay these bills. And those are things we focus on. And the reason simply is most of our beliefs are fear-based. So you really have to work on what you're really afraid of. And to be willing to address the fact that, you know, life is not always perfect, but we have the ability every day to get up and do a, have a do-over to create who we want to be that day. And that takes real discipline because there are things in life. We were talking, some of the people in the reception area, we were talking about how bad CNN made everything look in Baltimore. That if you believed everything that was going on in CNN, you thought the city you know, it was almost burned down. Right. And right. And so, but again, it depends on what channel you choose to tune into in your life. If you're on the positive channel, if you're on the peace channel, if you're on the love channel, you got to love you no matter what's going on. Okay. Cause we've all got ups and downs in our lives and we've all got parts of ourselves that maybe we're not a hundred percent happy with. But if you love you, then you have the ability to ride through whatever life presents to you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Thank you.